you found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. All right, we'll take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to be looking at verses... 1 to 23. I kicked my water bottle down here. Maybe I did something. Are you ready for this? This is a new series for the summer um, that we're going to be going through called At His Feet. Last summer, we uh, went through the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher that ever lived, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So this summer, we're going to look at the greatest stories ever told by the greatest storyteller that ever lived. Jesus' kingdom parables and parables about, about life with, with God. So we're going to start here in Matthew 13. I'm going to read the first nine verses and the rest of it we'll read as we go, as we go through the message. All right, so let's read. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him. So that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, to, he who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come before you uh, today and uh, we are grateful for your word uh, this morning. Um, it, is, it is good food uh, for our soul and so we ask you to, to feed us with it. Today, sow it into our hearts, and may our hearts be good soil for it as it is sown. We lift up these missionaries that we are supporting in the world and the places that are really struggling, Father, in India, in Brazil, with this COVID pandemic. And Lord, we, uh, we know that that is bigger than us, and <laughs> it, it, it leaves us helpless when we hear about things um, that are happening. But we know it's not bigger than you. And we're thankful for World Renewal and their efforts to um, help people in a very real way with food, uh, but also sharing that gospel message with, with people who have never heard of Jesus before, who don't have faith in him. So, Lord, we ask your blessing on their efforts. We ask your protection on them. We pray you'd move in our hearts to be a part of what they're doing, and we'll trust that it'll all be for our good, their good, and your glory as it happens in the world, Lord. Protect us from this COVID thing that's going on, Lord. We pray you you would just blow it away uh, with the breath of your mouth and that our world could turn to you because of that. Um, so, Lord, we're focusing right now here in Matthew 13, and we thank you again for this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week, uh, last weekend, we took a quick trip to Fort Worth, Texas and attended the TCU graduation where my daughter-in-law Megan got her bachelor's degree. And so that was all exciting and I just wanted to 
thank Pastor Isaiah for taking on the preaching duties last week. You did a great job, sir. And I told him that was what I call a great start. Uh, so we will, that won't be the last time we hear from God through Pastor Isaiah. Uh, so, hey, being in Fort Worth uh, for really the first time, um, we got a chance to sort of taste the city. So last Friday, uh, we started out our morning at the Botanic Gardens and spent a couple hours there. Then we went on to lunch at TCU at a place called Dutch's and had a great, nice big old hamburger. And then we went to the Fort Worth Stockyards where we got a little history in the uh, the cattle that, you know, kind of got walked through the street there. They relive that every day, twice a day. And we ended up at the Modern Art Museum where I found out I could probably get something put on display. But... Um, <laughs> So, so, so anyway, it was a full day, a full day of, of, uh, of Fort Worth experiences and, and good food. And I could tell you stories. I mean, I got stories about their history, stories about their culture, about their cuisine, uh, about the hotel accommodations, about traffic, about parking, a COVID graduation, the weather, and the size of high school football stadiums in Texas. So I could share all these with you. And if you've ever been to Fort Worth, you'd go, yeah. I know what you're talking about. But if you've never been there before, you'd get a skewed picture through my experiences and what I saw of of Fort Worth. Well, we are going to have 11 Sundays ahead of us to get filled up on the stories of Jesus. Stories about his kingdom and about life with him. And they're going to teach us. And they're going to give us this picture of kingdom life. And they're going to help us know more about how to do life with him. And I'm so looking forward to each one of them and the promises that they hold for people who have ears to hear. So in verses 1 and 2, we get the setting of this story. Now Jesus is in the middle of a busy full day of ministry that looks like it started back at the beginning of Matthew chapter 12. So it's a Sabbath day. And so Jesus, on that day, he, uh, he went to the synagogue and he argued with some Pharisees um, about Sabbath laws. He healed a man at the synagogue and got in trouble for that. He retreats back to his house, but a crowd gathers there, so he starts teaching. He casts out a demon from a man that is possessed, arguing with the Pharisees more. He taught, he prophesied about his life and resurrection. He explained how evil spirits seek out people. And he revealed how his spiritual family was taking priority over his physical family at the moment. So when I read all of that, I was like, my day in Fort Worth was nothing compared to Jesus' day. And it was probably only half done. Matthew 13 comes along and it says that same day, Jesus left the house and he goes to the beach. Now, he might have gone there to just get away from it all, you know, but a crowd shows up. And so he ends up getting in a boat, presumably with his disciples, and they push off from shore as the crowd stands on the beach and he begins to teach them. And so that's the setting for the parable of the sower in Matthew. If you were to put yourself in this setting, where would you be? Now, really, there's only three places. There's only three possible places you could put yourself. One is you could be in the boat. You could be sitting in the boat with Jesus, you know, hanging on his every word, you know, listening to him talk about the kingdom of God. You know him. He knows you. Would you be in the boat? 
with Jesus. You could also be on the beach. You know, you were in town there and you saw this uh, big crowd following after Jesus and you decided, you know, I think I'm going to go find out what all the fuss is about. And you end up standing on the beach with this crowd. You're, you're curious about what he's saying, but you're not really committed to him. Would you be on the beach this morning? I mean, after Jesus finishes teaching, you know, you're just going to kind of go back to life that you were doing before. And, you know, there's that's what curious people do. Are you on the beach? The third place that you could be is not really mentioned in the story because it's somewhere else. You're not in the boat and you're not on the beach because you're at home or you're at work. Or you're at school or at lunch. You're somewhere else. Are you somewhere else this morning? And you're like, no. It's obvious. I'm here. I'm listening to you. And I get that. But this isn't so much about your physical location. As it is about your heart location. You know, Jesus says just a few chapters later, he quotes Isaiah and he says, these people... Honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Where's your heart this morning? Is it in the boat, on the beach, or somewhere else? Now, I ask you that all-important question this morning at the beginning of these parable Sundays because we have an opportunity to sit at Jesus' feet. And so I want to invite you wherever you find your heart to be, to take a step toward Jesus. If you're somewhere else, come to the beach. What an invitation that is. Come to the beach. Get curious. These stories could change your life. If you're on the beach, you've just kind of been curious. Jesus is part of your life. He's not the hub of your life. Get in the boat. Get committed. There is nobody else in your life who you should give more priority to or more attention to than this guy right here who is going to tell us amazing things about the kingdom of God. That is the opportunity we have got before us. To get in his presence, to sit at his feet, to hear about what he knows. His stories, his descriptions will not be skewed like my Fort Worth stories will be. They will be the perfect description of life with him, of the kingdom of God. And given to you in a way that you could receive it best. That's what we got. Are you interested in what he has to say? Your heart long to be with him. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how far away your heart is. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you've said about him. Thought about him. It doesn't matter any of that. None of it matters. Just turn. Take a step toward him. He will meet you right there and tell you amazing things about his kingdom. Let's sit at his feet. In verses 3 to 8, we get to the story. The story. This is the first one for the summer. So a farmer goes out to plant his field. And some of that seed falls on the path and some on rocky soil. Some of it falls on the, among the thorns and some in, in good soil. So picture a farmer with a bag over his shoulder, and he's reaching in there with his hand, getting a big old scoop of seed, and he's scattering it out over the field. It's not an exact science. So some of that seed's going to fall in places that are not optimal for a seed to land. One is it's, the seed stays on top. 
because it's on a path and it's hard. It has can't get down into the soil. It becomes easy food for the birds. And then there's the, the rocky soil where the seed gets down in there a little bit but and it, it sprouts up. But then the sun comes out and it dries it up and it just withers away. And then there's the seed that gets in among the thorns, you know, and it, the plant grows up, but the thorns are there and it just kind of chokes out the plant from the sun. doesn't grow. And then there's the good soil. Seed that goes into that good soil, takes root, grows up into a plant and starts producing fruit, sometimes 30, sometimes 60, sometimes 100 fold what was originally sown. That's a parable. It's a story that comes from real life and it describes a picture for the listener to see and to understand. Now a parable is different than a fable. You know, like Aesop's fables where animals talk. Now that's make-believe. Jesus is bringing a story that came out of 90% of the people's lives that are listening to him They would have had a very easy time relating to what he is saying. A farmer going out sowing seed in the field because most of them are doing that. Now the parables that Jesus told, they're intended to teach a moral or spiritual truth. And there's 27 of them in all roughly uh, between the Gospels. And um, they're all there for us to see and learn about the kingdom of God. Parables are not allegories. Allegories are... Uh, like C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, where he embedded all these details into the story about life with God. Okay, parables can be misinterpreted by looking for too much meaning in all the details of the story. They're just there to communicate one, two, maybe just a few basic truths about the kingdom of God. So that's the story. Jesus concludes telling that story with he who has an ear, let him hear. And then he gets, he comes to a place where, where he pauses in his teaching. As the disciples, they, they, they want to know, hey, what, why, are you, why are you teaching like this? They ask, why parables? And so then the next thing he says in verses 10 to 16, it talks a lot about the senses. And so let me read that. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. And your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So his disciples ask him, why parables? You know, what's up with that? And then from 11 to 16, he, 
he begins to answer them, and he talks a lot about the senses. And so in answering, his, in answering their question, it kind of brings up a lot more questions you know, as, we get in, as we get into it. In verse 11, he starts, You've been given the privilege of knowing the kingdom secrets. You know, when he says you, he's talking about who's in the boat with him. And then he says, but they, people on the beach, and, and it be elsewhere, they have not been given that privilege. So Jesus is alluding there to the sovereignty of God over his kingdom. You know, God is the king of his kingdom. Jesus reigns. And nothing happens outside of his will in his kingdom. He is a king that is unlike any other king that was ever a king. This, this king of ours, King Jesus. I mean, he is good. And he is merciful. And he is love. And he is perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, perfectly just. He knows it all. If there's anything to know, he knows it. He has all power. If there's anything to be done, he can do it. It's not hard, no sweat. He can just do it. And he is everywhere, all at the same time. You, you will never be in danger of, of lifting God up too high when it comes to these attributes that we know about him. But we do have a danger of bringing God down too low, down to our level and looking at him and trying to understand him like we understand each other. You know, when we see a good person, that has no, there's no comparison between a good person and a good God. I mean, he is way other. And so we tend to do that when we don't understand him. And, and understanding his sovereignty and his will, nothing happens outside of his will, you know, and how he does that, and then, but then creates this environment for us to operate as free agents. I don't understand it, but I know it's not too hard for him to be able to do that. And so, and, and so, um, we want to keep him high and lifted up. High and lifted up in our life because when we can do that, even when we have questions, there is peace there. There is rest and strength and courage there. And I want to tell you this morning, you don't want to have a God you can completely figure it out. <laughs> you don't want that. Verse 12, Jesus says something really confusing and even cruel if we don't understand it right. He says, to the one who has, more will be given. And to the one who doesn't have, even what he has will be taken away. Now it's easy to read, go from this sovereignty of God, and then read the next verse and think God is the one doing the giving and the taking. But God is not the one doing the giving and the taking. You know what is? Life. Have you ever heard the phrase, use it or lose it? In a sense, that's what Jesus is saying. This is the way life goes. This is a, a principle of our life. Now we have homeschooled our kids since like forever ago. Uh, but we only have one student left at Living Letters Academy and that's Lucy. And in our school I have never succeeded in making math a popular subject. Do not blame it on the teacher though. Um, Lucy and I have been working through some algebra this year and she like me, like maybe many of you, have uttered the words, 
how is this going to help me in my life? You know, what, why do I have to know algebra? And I've been telling her, you know, all along years, the math gets more complex. Look, we can't give up. We can't give up developing your math brain because if we do, we close doors in the future for you that you may not think you want to walk through right now. So you got to keep learning this. You can't stop. I mean, you won't be able to become an engineer or a, a pharmacist if we just give up on, on math right now. And besides, you'll forget, to, you'll forget how to do story problems. You say, so what? Hey, listen, all math after school is a story problem. You can't forget. So in verse 13, Jesus gets to the point of this, of this question. Why parables? And here's his answer in summary. I teach in parables because their senses are not able to perceive truth that is standing right in front of them. And then he goes into verses 14 and 15 and he uses the prophet Isaiah's words to help make his point. He says, you're gonna, he says this is why Isaiah says, you're going to hear, but you're not going to hear. You're going you're gonna to see, but you're really not going to see. You're not going to get it. Your hearts are not going to understand. These people's hearts are dull. I mean, they're, they're sleepwalking in the spiritual world. Their senses are, are broken. They're barely working. I mean, if they were working, then they'd turn and I'd heal them. So Isaiah is describing the human condition. You know, we're fallen. We're sinful uh, people. Our spiritual senses are broken. And if you think about this ministry day that Jesus is in, I mean, that same day, the Pharisees ask him for a sign to prove he was who he said he was. You know, and if you go back and, and you look at what he did, it proves what he's saying because seeing in the spiritual sense is not believing. That's not how spiritual senses get awakened and healed. He's healed a guy already this day, the withered hand. He's freed a guy from a demon possession. And of course, he did many other things in his ministry all along. And even up to the day of his crucifixion, when he is on the cross and they are mocking him, they are saying to him, hey, come on down, save yourself, prove that you're the son of God. Let us see so that we can believe. But seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. And so what Jesus is saying here is that I'm teaching in parables not to keep the truth from you, not to keep, not to make it harder for you to believe, but to help you believe. Because your senses, this is the best way for you to get the truth that I'm telling you. The Son of God standing right in front of you and you're not getting it. So I've got to teach you in parables to help you get it. Isn't that beautiful? A week ago, I was sitting in, a week ago Saturday, I was sitting in the TCU football stadium watching this graduation, watching students walk in, and 2,500 of them walked in across the field, couldn't see their faces, you know, just this sea of purple. They're filling in the stands. The, to the right of them was the podium, you know, and the faculty was sitting over there, and they were all going to get up, walk over there, get their podium. Now, we had this big screen that we could see, you know, uh, see that scene. So it was really great. So they got through the pleasantries really pretty quickly and they started calling names. That's the COVID graduation thing, you know. Let's move through this thing. And uh, so it was taken up. We got no idea where Megan is in this sea of purple. But we've got a program. 
And in the program, they have by school alphabetically listed. And so we found Megan's name. And then I started, I started following along. While they're calling names, I'm following along the program. So I timed a column. And then I estimated it was going to be 35 minutes before we saw Megan on the big screen come across to get her sheepskin. So row after row of student, name after name, except one guy. He got up there. They called his name. They couldn't find his diploma. And the president pulls out a $50 bill and gives it to him. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> but anyway, row after row, students come, students come. And I'm thinking, here's Megan. You know, we see her on the screen, and I'm holding on to my 35-minute estimate. They call her name, and it was 28 minutes. See, all math is a story problem after high school. Now, I tell you that story not because it has anything to do with the sermon or anything to do with your life. It doesn't make a hill of beans that I was seven minutes long in my estimate, but I got your attention now, don't I? (laughs) Stories get your attention. And Jesus was the greatest storyteller, telling the greatest stories that could ever be told. And we've got a whole summer ahead of us to take them in, to sit at his feet. In fact, you can even come on Tuesday night and sit in our class there, and we'll talk about it with your brothers and sisters. There's books back there if you want to do that by the offering box. Just join us, 6.30. We're going to be there all summer. Now, if you have an ear to hear, you should realize verse 16 is for you. Blessed are your senses. That you can see Jesus for who he is, the son of the living God. Blessed are you that you can perceive that the words that he is saying is the very word of God, word of truth, words of life. It is a blessing to know that. And then he says, you know, the prophet Isaiah and all those other prophets and, and righteous people, they longed, they would die to be able to see what you see and hear what you hear. And you get to do it. That's, that's the privilege we have. Because, because what they were waiting for has come. Jesus says in Matthew 13, 34 and 35. All these things Jesus says about Jesus. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. That ought to give you goosebumps. You get to hear that. I mean, if you have ears to hear, you're going to understand things that have been hidden since the beginning of creation. Secrets. In verses 18 to 23, we start getting in on the secrets of the parable of the sower. Let's read the rest of the chapter. Let's read the rest of that. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. 
As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So Jesus goes on to explain what is what in, in the story. So the word of God is the seed that is being scattered. And we can assume that God is the sower, or people who share his word. Uh, so there's different kinds of soils, different kinds of people with a particular heart condition. Realize God is not discriminating with his word. He is being very liberal with it, very generous, sowing it to all people. Jesus, he fulfilled that ministry. His ministry was not hidden in secret. He was out in public. He was on the beach. He was in the boat. Everyone could hear him, liberally casting the seed of the word of God to to hearts. So as you look and think about this crowd, surely every heart that he describes is there in that crowd around him. So there's hard people there. They have hearts as hard as one of those paths that walk around the field. We might think of a sidewalk. When the word is sown in their lives, there's just no place for it to go. Because it's hard. their hearts are hard. It just kind of stays on top. And then the devil comes along and with, with another stomp on the heart, you know, he gets he takes away that word. And anger comes, or doubt, or bitterness, or pride, or blame shifting, or shame, or selfishness, whatever it might be, all to keep a person from believing the truth of the gospel or growing in the gospel. Just like when we sow seed in the lawn, you know, in our in our in our lawns or in our gardens or in the fields, birds are always around looking for an easy meal. That's Satan. And every time we sow the word. We should be praying that God would protect us from the enemy who wants to come and steal it away. There's shallow people in the crowd. Those hearts that have a bunch of rocks in them. The seed, it it gets a start in those people. Maybe they say a salvation prayer. There's some joy. Maybe they hear a truth in God's word, get convicted, and they're going to take a step of faith. They're all joyful. I mean, when you have a time, even though you have conviction, when when you end up with joy in the presence of God. A lot of joy happens in this place. But then when we leave this place, something happens. Something difficult comes along. And the faith proves to have no root, no authenticity to it. And people just turn away from it. So shallow people, they don't know any different. They don't know that they're shallow. They think this is kind of how it is when it comes to God. And so when they get out there and, and stuff happens in their life, they, they tend to follow their feelings in their life. And their faith follows their feelings. So it goes up and down. They look alive on Sunday, but when Monday comes, stress of life comes, no evidence of a living faith. And then there's worldly people in the crowd. Hearts that hear this word, they believe, but then they never show any progress in their Life with God in their faith because of worldliness. Jesus mentions two traps that the world places in front of us here. Two weeds that are in your heart that keep us from growing. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of money. Now people can get all caught up in the cares of life. Man, have we had a year of that. You know, we get overtaken 
by fear and worry over health or work or conflict or whatever it is, keeping up with the Joneses next door. It's all about this horizontal life. Our hearts are filled with the cares of the world. That keeps you from growing in your spiritual life. And then money. Money can be a big distraction from your faith. One of the worst things that could happen to your life with God is that you would win the lottery. It would. Money is deceitful. It promises things. But it does not deliver those things. Promises happiness. Promises peace. Doesn't deliver. See, we have these insatiable appetites within us. Have you ever tried to stop eating sugar? I mean, you got to like not eat any of it because if you just like take a little Hershey's kiss, and it all comes right back, doesn't it? That's it? We live in a world where the sugar buffet is right before us. And if we just nibble on it, man, we can't get enough of it. If money was no obstacle in your life, the pursuit of happiness can overwhelm the pursuit of holiness. And it does for most people. For most people. It can keep you from growing. And then you've got the fruitful people here. These hearts are where the Word of God finds a place to grow. So your faith takes hold. You feed it with worship. You feed it with studying the Word. You're getting together with other believers. You're serving God and so on. And it grows and it begins to produce fruit that's described in the Bible. It doesn't matter really what comes your way. Doubts might come your way, but they don't stay around. You know, uh, trouble comes your way, but it doesn't overwhelm you. You're, you're, you see the blessings in your life and you thank God you live in a state of gratitude. The devil fires these arrows at you, these flaming arrows, but you're lifting up that shield of faith and you're knocking those down, staying, standing firm in prayer. Enemies don't keep you down. Sin does not define you. Persecution does not stop you. Nothing causes you to lose faith. Nothing causes you to lose hope in your Savior. Now, it might feel weak, but every day you're getting up, putting one foot in front of the other, giving your life away so other people can have life, and it bears fruit in their life. Faithfulness. That's a fruitful person. Whoever has an ear to hear... Listen up. Listen up. Jesus has revealed to us secrets about the human heart and the Word of God. But that is not where it ends. The secrets call for a response. A spoken parable always has an implied, so what? What do we do with this? What's the so what of the parable of the sower? So as we're, we're hearing the secrets of the kingdom of God, it just calls us, doesn't it, to find where our heart is in this story. Where is your heart? In the parable of the sower. Now that's a hard question to answer. You know, because we, we can move in and out of these soils in our life. Things happen. We get distracted. You know, all those things happen. 
And so it's, it's kind of hard to ask this question and, and to, get an, to get an answer, but it calls for a response. It calls for the so what. So maybe you're here today and you identify most with the hard heart. You know, God's word isn't penetrating your life. You're not really interested in it. It doesn't feed you. It doesn't seem relevant. Listen, if... If you're here this morning and you can identify with the hard heart, God is giving you a gift to be able to see that. Maybe it's the shallow heart, the shallow soil. You know, like when you're here, you feel strong, you feel confident, you can put the Christian t-shirt on, you can amen, you can high-five other brothers and sisters, but when you go out there, all that stuff kind of disappears when life comes at you fast. And so you get out there, and instead of running to God, when you hit the stress and the trouble comes your way, you run to other things like food, or drink, or drugs, or entertainment, or pornography, whatever can give you a a little moment of comfort, a Hershey's kiss. (laughs) God's not the go-to when it comes to hard, hard things in your life. And you don't know how to walk with them. If you identify with that, God is giving you a gift. Maybe it's it's the uh, the worldly heart. You know, I love my country. And I'm very glad that God chose America for me to be born in and live here. But this is a very difficult place to live when it comes to cultivating a life of faith. It's a very hard place to live. Those weeds, the cares of the world, you know, the deceitfulness of money. I mean, they are right there in front of us every single day. In fact, so many people are living that way. And it is so easy to believe in the promises that they, you know, speak. I mean, just look at how easy everybody else's life is. Right? If your life really doesn't look a whole lot different than unbelievers when, when you leave here, apart from some church activities, consider your faith is being choked out by worldly pursuits. And if you can hear that, God has given you a gift. So what, what can you do? I mean, if you think, I'm like one of those three, what can you do? Nothing. There is not anything you can do to make the necessary changes in your heart to move from being worldly or shallow or hard to fruitful. But there's good news. There's a divine gardener. And he is able to take any hard soil and just break it up and make it beautiful. Yeah, he he is able to take all those little rocks out of there and cultivate the soil, putting nutrients in there so when the seed falls on it, it'll grow a root and a nice big plant. He knows what's a weed And what's a plant? And God can actually take those weeds out of there and change your desires to spiritual things. Like you'll leave here today and go, I can't wait for Tuesday night. Seriously. All you got to do is confess it. 
You confess to the divine gardener the condition that you think that your heart is in. Your, your hardness, your shallowness, your worldliness. Confess those things. He's here today. He's calling out to you today. He's saying, where are you? Where is your heart? What's it look like? Just give it over to me. I don't care what it looks like. You don't have to do anything. You can't change it. I can change it. Trust me with it. Take a step to me. He's calling out today for that. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all this other stuff, he'll take care of. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Now for all you good soil people out there who have identified yourself in one of those other soils, hey, come on back. You know, let's be honest. It's not you. You're bearing fruit. I just want to tell you to keep going. Keep going. God's mercies are new today. Wake up in the morning and thank Him for His love. Go to bed at night and thank Him for His faithfulness. Stay at His feet. Hang on His every word. Don't give up. A harvest is coming. Don't give up. When that word of God is sown, I mean, do it at home. He gave you a picture of it in creation. Go plant the garden today. Fruit doesn't come for a little while, right? We got to give it time. We cannot give up. Keep on hanging out with each other and sharing the word of God and sharing your lives. Keep on giving your faith away, your life away to give life to others. Keep on doing. Don't give up. Love on those hard people. Invite those shallow people to a deeper walk with God. Pray for those worldly people that they would be let loose from those weeds of the world. And keep on going. Don't give up. When the word of God goes out, it will not return void. It will bear fruit in your life. Let's have our worship team back up. So we're at the beginning. Ten more Sundays with stories in them. A summer at his feet. Where's your heart this morning? Are you in the boat? On the beach or somewhere else? He's inviting you. Inviting you to take a step toward him. And I know the heart heart examinations can be difficult. The the soil can be muddy. (laughs) But just take your heart as it is and... Give it to him again. Just trust him with it. All your fears, cares, and worries. Everything. Just put it in his hands. And trust it. He'll give you what's best. He will not give up on you. He will not leave you. He is faithful. Let's stand and sing to him.